following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, March 21, 2021, on the basis of John 12, verses 20 through 33. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. This past week, our children were on spring break. Much to their dismay, there was no trip to Florida, no time on the beach, no time at Disney. And to make matters worse, for most of the week, the weather didn't even feel all that spring breaky. And yet that time away from school did provide us as a family the opportunity to sit down together and watch a few movies, including a recent release from Netflix that's entitled, Yes Day. The basic plot of the movie revolves around the idea that a couple of parents are are starting to feel really bad that it seems that all they ever do is say no to their children. And so they come up with this wonderful idea that for one magical day, no matter what the kids ask, no matter what they want to do, the answer will always be yes. Needless to say, once that yes day finally arrives, the hijinks and the hilarity ensue from there. Now, at the risk of taking a movie that is merely intended to get a few laughs and make you feel good and reading into it some sort of deeper message, what's interesting to me is that the entire plot of that movie is based on the simple premise that saying no to children is not simply something that parents do. In fact, it's an essential part of their job. Of course, it would be a bad idea for children to just get whatever they want all the time. Children need some sort of external force imposing their will on theirs. I think everyone agrees on that. But what's also very interesting to me is that at some point in our lives we convince ourselves that that external force imposing its will on ours is no longer needed. We get to the point where we convince ourselves that it's not just okay to do whatever we want, but that doing so is actually the most important and most beneficial thing that we could possibly do. That if there is something we think or feel or desire, then of course we should act on it. Of course we should pursue that goal. Of course we should follow that dream. We should be true to ourselves. We should live outwardly in a way that is authentic with what is going on inwardly. In other words, no matter what it might be, no matter what we want to have, no matter what we want to do, the answer should always be yes. Now, if if it isn't plain to you already that that kind of thinking is patently contrary to the message of Jesus Christ, let me say it plainly. That kind of thinking is patently contrary to the message of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been talking about really throughout this season of Lent with this worship theme, A Time to Die. Over and over again, we have seen that Jesus actually calls us to die to. In other words, to say no to many of the things that we think and feel and desire. And if you might be tempted to think that after four straight weeks of that, we'd be ready to move on to something else, well, you'd be wrong. 
That's exactly the message we're going to get from Jesus' words once again today. In fact, it's actually these words that are in front of us that formed the basis for our entire Lenten worship theme and that, that image of taking those thoughts, those feelings, those desires, and letting them fall like a seed to the ground. And yet as we look at these verses this morning, we're not only going to see once again how the message of Jesus is contrary to the message of the world, we are also going to see how the message of Jesus is superior to the message of the world. In every way, the pain-paved path that Jesus leads us down is better than the pleasure-paved path that the world would have us follow. And so as we look at these verses today, we're going to see that Jesus' constant no has conquered the world's constant yes. By the time these verses occur in Jesus' ministry, you might be tempted to think Jesus had gotten tired of saying no. Already this Lent, we've seen how at the very start of Jesus' ministry, it was Satan who came and tempted Jesus, tempted him to avoid the suffering and death, the cross that was awaiting him. Jesus said no. Also this Lent, we've seen how right in the middle of Jesus' ministry, it was actually the disciple Peter who served as Satan's mouthpiece, inviting Jesus to avoid the cross. Again, Jesus said no. Well, now we're at the very end of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus had just performed arguably his most impressive and his most public miracle. He had raised from the dead a man by the name of Lazarus. All kinds of people were there to see it, Everyone who was there to see it told all of their friends. And so John tells us that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, Jesus' enemies, were so frazzled that none of their attempts to oppose Jesus were working. And instead, he was getting more and more popular. They said, look, the whole world has gone after him. And then, as if right on cue, from stage left, John tells us that some Greeks arrive in Jerusalem. They had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. They had come from who knows how far away, from who knows where, but when they arrived, they had one thing on their mind. They wanted to see Jesus. Indeed, the whole world had begun to go after him. And so when Jesus gets this request, what does he say? The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. If you didn't know any better, you might be tempted to think that after a ministry full of saying no, it was finally yes day for Jesus. In fact, you might even be tempted to think it's sort of like when everybody thinks that a certain politician is the next great candidate for some higher office, maybe even the office of president. And as the rumors start to swirl that maybe this person is the next one in line, over and over again their message is consistent, no, 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 no. I'm focused on the job that I currently have. I don't have any aspirations for anything higher than that. And only when just about everybody is begging them to run for that office do they say what they were probably planning to say all along, okay, fine, I'll do it. That's not what Jesus is doing here, and we know that from what he says next. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So yes, the time had come for Jesus to be glorified, but not by getting more and more popular, not by doing more and more miracles, 
by dying on the cross. Through that death on the cross, through that seed falling into the ground, a crop of glory would indeed be harvested by God through him. Even with one more opportunity to avoid the cross, Jesus still said no. Now when we hear Jesus talk about that seed falling to the ground, we might be tempted to think that he's talking about himself. And of course he was talking about himself as we'll see a little bit later, but he wasn't talking about himself alone. Because here's the very next thing that Jesus says. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. In other words, the very thing that was true of Jesus is also true for every single person who follows him. Now, when Jesus talks about loving or hating our life, he's not talking about our physical life. He's not talking about the beating that goes on in our hearts or the breathing that goes on in our lungs. Instead, he's talking about our inner immaterial Life. In fact, the word, the Greek word that John records here is where we get our word psyche from. So the thoughts that we think, the feelings that we feel, the desires that we desire, and the opinions that we opine. To love these things means to cling to them, to hold on to them, to nourish and foster them, to want to see those things bud and blossom and flourish. But to hate them, as Jesus says, doesn't necessarily mean that we despise them. It simply means that we are willing to let them go. We are willing to let them fall to the ground like a seed. We are willing to say no to them, in other words. And Jesus says that anyone who would follow him must do this very thing. In other words, anyone who follows Jesus does so against their own will. Anyone who follows Jesus is willing to take those seeds of their psyche and let them fall to the ground as if dead. So let me ask, as you sit here today, I'm guessing you would say that you are among those who are following Jesus. And that's good. So would I. But the question that these verses force us to ask is how often our following of Jesus causes us to act against our own will, causes us to say no to the most difficult person in all the world to say no to, namely ourselves. In other words, when it is clear that Jesus wants something, but I want something different, how does that turn out? How does that end up? For example, When Jesus makes it clear that he wants me to use my time to be in his house on Sundays and for him to be in my house during the week, but I want to use my time to do all the things that I want to do. Or when Jesus makes it clear that he wants us to use our material wealth to generously help those who are in need and to generously support the work of the gospel, but I want to use my material wealth to have and to do all of the things that I want. When Jesus tells us to forgive others, but I just want to stay angry. When Jesus tells us to be kind 
and understanding and patient with people who think differently, who act differently, who look different and talk differently. But I just want to belittle those people and demonize them to make me feel better about myself. When Jesus tells us to be content with our status and our identity as his children and as heirs of eternal life, but I want to I find an identity in the things that I accomplish and the goals that I achieve. How often does following Jesus include acting against our own will? Arguably the most painful thing that a human being can possibly do. Jesus makes it very clear. We are not the exceptions to this rule. There is no day where the rules do not apply. All who follow him, follow him against their will. All of his followers must be willing to take those little seeds of their psyche and let them fall to the ground as if dead. So no, Jesus wasn't talking about himself alone when he mentioned that seed. But thankfully, he was talking about himself. And we know that from from the very next thing that he says. Jesus went on to say, my soul is troubled. And that's the same exact word as the one that's translated life. They're translated differently, but same exact word. Jesus is saying, my psyche is troubled. My psyche is disturbed like the waters of a lake when a 40 mile an hour wind is howling above them. My soul is troubled. Why? Because of that cross that was now just right around the corner. In fact, you heard in today's second reading from Hebrews how with loud cries and fervent tears, Jesus called out to his Father in heaven asking to save him from death, hoping against all hope that the answer would be yes. But when that answer came back, no, Jesus did the very thing that he asks us to do. Jesus said no to himself. Jesus made his own will subject to, in submission to the will of his Father in heaven. And in so doing, Jesus proved once and for all how his message is not just contrary to the message of this world. He proved how his message is superior to the message of this world. Yes, Jesus let that seed fall to the ground. Yes, Jesus died. But shortly thereafter, as what, as what happens when, when you plant a seed in the ground, new life emerged. Jesus rose from the dead. And because he did, it means that when it comes to this battle between what the world wants to tell us and what Jesus wants to tell us, the evidence is already in. The facts are already clear. When it comes to that message that the world would send to us to always say yes to everything that we want and everything that we desire, Jesus says that message has already been condemned. It has already been judged. It has already been exposed. And as for the devil, the prince of this world, who is really the originator and the chief amplifier of that message, Jesus says that he has been driven out. Yes, the devil and the world will continue to whisper in our ears to always encourage us to say yes. But the thought that that answer of yes is somehow the answer we want or the answer that is best for us has already been proven to be a lie. That pleasure-paved path that the devil and the world would lead us down has already been proven to be a complete dead end. By his death and by his resurrection from the dead, 
Jesus' constant no has already conquered the world's constant yes. Which explains what Jesus then said would happen next. So you put a seed into the ground. Shortly thereafter, new life emerges. What comes next? Well, eventually there's going to be a crop, right? And eventually there's going to be a harvest. So here's what Jesus says. I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus' enemies were frazzled because what? Maybe a few thousand people were starting to follow him. Imagine if they could see things now. People from every age, people from every place who follow Jesus, who have gone after him. Why? Because he kept performing impressive miracles? Because he has made everything in our lives exactly how we want it to be? No, people from all over the world follow Jesus, are drawn to him because he was lifted up from the earth on the cross. And notice what Jesus says. People are drawn to him. Not driven to him, not forced to him, not coerced to follow him. They are drawn to him. In other words, yes, all who follow Jesus follow him against their own will. But in the very same way, all who follow Jesus follow him willingly. Because Jesus was willing to say no to himself for us, Jesus has a world full of followers who are willing to say no to themselves for him. And isn't that the ultimate goal anyway? As I was watching that movie yesterday, I kept thinking to myself, you know, I think every parent would love to be able to say no to their kids a little bit less often. And not because they would suddenly decide to just let their kids have whatever they want and do whatever they want. No, they would love to be able to say no to their kids less because they would love for their kids to be able to say no to themselves a little bit more. And how does that happen? Yes, experience and, and maturity will certainly help, but more than that, what will convince a child to say no to themselves is when they know that that external will that is imposing itself on them, when they know that that will and that person can be trusted. And more than anything else, what will convince a child to trust their parent, even when the parent tells them no, is when that child sees the parent doing the very same thing. Saying no to themselves. Sacrificing. Giving things up. Living without certain things for something that is much, much bigger than their own wants and desires. In fact, maybe, maybe a reason why as a society it seems we are having a harder and harder time saying no to children is because we realize the hypocrisy and the inconsistency at stake when these children have grown up seeing adults who only have been saying yes to themselves. Thankfully, when it comes to Jesus, there will never be any inconsistency. There will never be any hypocrisy. The very same one who asks us to say no to, our, to ourselves is the one who said no to himself for us. Jesus let go of, Jesus gave up all comfort and ease, all pleasure and popularity. Jesus even gave up the beating in his heart and the breathing in his lungs. Jesus sacrificed himself for you, for your forgiveness, for your peace, 
for your happiness and well-being, for your security and for your eternity. Which means that you can trust him, even when he asks you to say no to yourself. In fact, in a world where everyone else is saying yes to themselves and urging you to do the same, there is nothing more striking and, in fact, nothing more magnetic than when someone does just the opposite. And so, friends, when you see in your Savior Jesus that one person who will always say no to himself for you, trust that you can follow him no matter where he asks you to go. Amen. Amen.